Welcome to episode 230 of the Sleeper in the Bust podcast. It's your Sunday edition. I am Paul Spore, joined as always on Sundays by Jason Collette. Jason, how the hell are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty damn good. Knee feels a lot better than it did last week. I was at a wedding all day yesterday that had craft beer, barbecue, and fireworks. It it, it was so awesome. I felt like getting remarried right then and there. You know, the whole renewing your vows thing? Yeah. But I didn't want want to steal the show, but that was one badass wedding last night. That's awesome. Yeah, a a good wedding can be pretty... It can be a pretty excellent thing when, when it's when it's really done well. So I, I, I agree with you there. Um, you got to be happy on the baseball end of it too. Your your Tampa Bay Rays, I think, are kind of shocking the world because I, I didn't give them much love preseason to be honest because um, it was mm-hmm. a tight division. But then Cobb and and Smiley, I'm thinking those are the nails in the proverbial coffin. But it's my fault. I'm stupid. You know, the 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 more we write, anytime you write off Tampa Bay. Or Oakland, they make you look dumb. That's why I'm I'm still reluctant to write off Oakland, even at 13 and 26. But anyway, talk about your Rays at 21 and 18, a game back of the Yankees. What's kind of annoying me are the games they give away, like Friday nights. Right. It's the stupid things. When you've lost your two best, two of your best pitchers, you know you can't afford to be giving games away. But you look at. Uh, what's what's happening there? And you know he he lets Odorizzi come back out when Odorizzi was it, it like worked his way through 96 pitches, coming back off the game where he was pitching uh, with the flu, right? So you figure okay bullpen time, and he leaves a leaves a man lead off hit. I mean not like they were rocket shots, but he puts the two guys on base. And for me, he gave away the game there, and he's done that a couple of times this year. That was kind of stupid. I did not see. Any bit of yesterday's game, I know they tied it up in the seventh, but then it fell apart from there. Uh, and then today, obviously, they just uh, pulled out the, the beaten stick on them. And I think they were nine for 20 in scoring position uh, when I had looked at one point. And they had still stranded 10 dudes. They, they, they smashed uh, they, a lot of opportunities there uh, for the race. So, yeah, they're playing well. Uh, Yankees were playing well, ran into that buzzsaw known as the Royals. Uh, and so, yeah, like I said, Rays are sitting just a game back. But uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit more about the fantasy game here. We're going to talk injuries, some, some performances, a little bit of player movement, and then some uh, some action in the bullpens. But some some of it expected. But we also have to get your read on the Tampa Bay bullpen. Uh, so we'll save that for later. But first, let's talk some injuries. This one isn't necessarily a DL situation, but Corey Dickerson has this on on and off plantar fasciitis and. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about it just because I feel like it can it when the flare-ups are bad it could be really bad and so it is kind of because it's so back and forth hit and miss on and off it's just a nerve-wracking thing obviously if a guy has to get hurt I'd rather him just have his time and uh you know go do the 14 days and then come or 15 days and come back but this looks like it's going to be on and off Corey Dickerson could miss two games here play for five miss three here what do you think about this for him Here's the thing. The only way this thing gets better is with rest. And, and so, you I, as you said, to play, to play, take, not play, take off the only way. And we went through this with Albert Pujols. Exactly. Eventually, he shut it down. So, for me, I would rather him go on the DL, take the two weeks off, because that's the only way it gets better. Otherwise, this is going to be a lingering issue all year. Yep. I, I think that's exactly the, the read on it. So, um, you know, here's the thing, uh, Corey Dickerson owners. If, if you can sell out... Uh, he's still at an 880 OPS. You know, you might get a little bit less because the the person that's going to trade for him is obviously going to understand that it's a bit of an issue. But it's still a pretty high enough level that you should be able to get a, a perfectly adequate return if you're just not willing to deal with the headache. What do you think about that, or is it, or is he somebody that you hold on to because the upside's so high? 
for me, you know how I usually try to tell these players when they have issues like this, I try to trade them. I do not like dealing with guys with lower half injuries. Uh, without their lower half, players aren't much. Uh, and plantar fasciitis tends to uh, end up lingering. And to me, I'd rather somebody else deal with the headache. Let's stay in Colorado and talk about Jorge De La Rosa. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to have a DL trip yet. He hasn't been put on there, but he left his start early on Saturday night with a groin injury. Um, I believe they were saying that De La Rosa did some jogging today. Uh, okay, yeah, he did. So it, it does. It looks it looks okay, but uh, it's not 100. percent Are you worried about that, or do you not even care enough about uh, De La Rosa? I understand his ERA is high, but the strikeouts are there. The stuff's really nasty early, and I'm thinking if he can iron it out with the command, there could be something here. He's always been a tease for me. I, I've I've liked De La Rosa. I've had him in the past on some different teams where I know I can I can spot him up. I mean, to me, the the numbers, you look at the numbers, you're kind of like, eh, but if you, this time of year, if you're judging dudes on their numbers, then you're overlooking some people. If you, and we talked about last week, the article I did about Buckholz, you know, go pick Buckholz up and, and look what Buckholz did. We'll this talk week. about had, that, that, that. Dude, I'm gonna I had slide, people, I'm gonna I had people right wondering if I was awake, wondering if I was alive because, hey, where's team Cletus? He's pitching well. You're not tweeting. Dominating. Dude, well, I, I fell asleep you- Friday night. I had a six and a half hour drive home from Atlanta and that crappy ass traffic of theirs. Oh, I had no. I didn't see one pitch of that game. Well, I'm gonna give you the floor to talk more about him later. Okay? And, Sweet. And, and once again, you can try to sell me. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I hear you with with being being careful to to not just go focus on the numbers too much in terms of the results. Because yeah, six fifty six ERA looks bad. He's in Colorado, so De La Rosa is gonna get dismissed. But I don't know. You know, he's shown that he can live live there and perform well in Coors. Uh, so I still think there might be some some upside to be had with him. And unfortunately, I mean, oh sorry, go ahead. I mean, here's the thing. If I were to tell you there's a pitcher out there in your waiver wire with a 24% strikeout rate and holding the uh, holding the opposition to a 266 batting average, you'd probably be like, cool. What do I say? You know, I'll take I'll take a flyer on that guy. Exactly. Oh yeah, he has a 6.56 ERA, a 159 WHIP. So throw the ratios aside and look at the underlying skills. There's some upside there. And honestly, um, you know, a lot of it because he, he was uh, he was dominating the Dodgers, and that that's very tough to do. It was seven and a third innings of two hit ball, only three strikeouts, so the strikeouts weren't there. But obviously, none of the damage was with no strikeouts and no walks. Since since his opener, Jorge De La Rosa was pounded by the Padres in his opener, nine mm-hmm. runs, seven of them earned in two innings. Since then, it's a 4.22. So so even just lopping off that first awful one, uh, 4.22 is not going to win you any league. But it shows uh, it's actually. Three Three really good ones and one other bad one against the Dodgers. So he goes four innings, five runs in L.A. or excuse me, in Colorado, comes back against them and, and, and pitches much better. So yeah, take a look at Del Rosa. I think there could be something there. Uh, and then lastly, we got to stay or not lastly, but lastly in Colorado, uh, one more injury for them. Unfortunately, this one I'm really nervous about because of his history and it's Justin Morneau uh, placed on the seven-day concussion list. That's obviously very nerve-wracking because it looked like you know concussions might end his career. They have it. Thankfully, he's rebounded and, and turned back into you know an all-star caliber player uh, or, or maybe a couple ticks off. But uh, what, what do you think of this with Morneau in, in another co- concussion? Yeah, that's not good at all. That Again, getting back to the, the plantar fasciitis thing, that's the kind of stuff that lingers around. You mentioned or the conditions he had earlier in his career. 
uh, you you would think uh, that there'd be more uh, more caution exercised here. So it wouldn't surprise me at, at a minimum he goes in the, if he's not already on the seven day DL. Yes. If they just go a uh, good and that and the good thing about the seven day DL is he can stay on there as long as he needs to. And I hope he does. I hope he does stay on there as long as he needs to. Uh, absolutely. So uh, you know, I just want to see him really get healthy. But obviously, fantasy wise, if you do have him. Uh, he might be out a while, and, and, and that could be for the better long term. I just hope he's back by June 8th when I'm going to be at Coors Field. Uh, uh, to watch I'll him launch bombs? That, that, yeah, I'd like to see him launch fun. I want to go to a Because I'm sitting, in, I'm sitting in the right field the right field box seats uh, in, in, right there in the outfield, that first level above the, the bullpen area, I guess it is. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to taking I've, – I've only been to one game there. It was it, – I'm going to date myself. Barry Bonds <laughs> and Jeff Kent were playing for the Giants. That's how oh, long wow. I've been to a game there. That's and Jeff awesome. Kent was the guy that hit two bombs and not Barry Bonds. I really want to. Uh, I really want to see a game there. I think it would be a lot of fun. Hopefully, maybe I can get up there this summer because I better get there soon or else Tulo won't be there. Um, a couple more injuries here, both to a couple pitchers. Chris Tillman is out right now with a back uh, issue. It's a, you know they said they're going to go ahead and take him out of the rotation. Obviously, he's been so freaking terrible. I don't know what's going on. Like it's. I, I just didn't think it could really be this bad. Uh, Tillman's got a 6.34 ERA. You know his home run issue is at its peak, but also giving up way too many hits, way too many walks. Strikeout rate is still kind of eh. Uh, nothing is working for him. I have to wonder if if there's been some uh, you know back soreness maybe throughout the season. <laughs> that would give him an excuse, but uh, it, it's it's not good. Uh, obviously, he's an easy cut in, in just about any format. Right. I, I could almost say an AL-only AL format even, to be honest, because I don't know that there's much risk of him being picked up uh, you know, for somebody to hold on to. So obviously you're moving on from him in that situation, but what, what do you think's going on, and is there a way back? I, here's the thing with him. When you look at the – we talked, we touched on it a little bit last week when, when we were comparing Buckholz and Tillman, saying why there, why there was a good reason to pick up Buckholz and why I would still not pick up Tillman. And when you look at the numbers, it's not like this guy has been terribly unlucky. His batting average and balls in play is right around his career average. His left on base percentage right around his career average. The home run ratio, while it's high, it's not that far off from 2012-2011. That you know that used to hold him back, and he got a little better. Mm-hmm. If the back is an issue and he's not able to finish off his pitches, which is Bingo. typically the issue when your back is a problem. That's going to cause for the ball to be left up. That's going to be cause for the thing to be cra- uh, crashed out. Now, when I've watched him pitch, he's got no freaking clue where the ball's going. He is honestly, to me, it's like, okay, I'm going to throw this pitch, and God, I hope it misses his bat. Because I've seen three of his starts. Uh, I didn't catch the most recent one, but the, the couple prior to that. And it's just like, man, I, I, I don't. This is not the same guy that we saw pitch in 2013 and 2014. It's just, he's I mean, it's like Jim Johnson in the rotation is what he looks like for Baltimore right now. And he, he can't even get him five innings. It's really tough to watch this guy who was just so good in the last couple of years. And this year is taking a major step back. And again, there's, there's, I don't see anything with the current version of Chris Tillman that makes me want to keep him on my roster. I no. could easily, if I have him, I, I don't have a DL spot. Let's say you're in one of those, uh, like I'm in an ESPN league where I have two DL spots. And I've got John Jason on the disabled list, and I've got Jose Reyes on the disabled list, and now I got Chris Tillman. Bye, Tillman. You're cut. I need I'm, a bench spot. I'm cutting him in a 12-team AL only, where there's nothing on the wire. Um, I'm going to try to get Mike Wright, who we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, who's basically going to, you know, uh, be the replacement here. And I just, 
there's only one DL spot, and I've got Oswaldo Arcia and even Derek Holland that I think I would prefer to keep over Tillman right now. It just looks like old-school Tillman when he was a, a flame-out prospect, um, and, and, and that's that's nerve-wracking. Like I said, obviously he came back from that one at one point, but we'll see if Chris Tillman can again, but I really think you can let him loose uh, without any worry in any format. Matt Latos was actually, you know, he was really getting back on track. Uh, he'd had a nice run ever since that disaster, two-thirds of an inning uh, season opener for him where he gave up seven runs to the Braves, which is more alarming because we're like, the Braves, really? Uh, then he rips off, you know, really nice stretch of six starts, 294 ERA, uh, decent numbers to support it. Then, of course, Latos has to face the Braves again, and they get him for five runs in the first, and it's like, wow. Uh, or, excuse me, in the second, it's like, geez, here we go again. Well, he'd been getting back on track, and then he gets drilled in the leg and had to leave with an ankle injury so um it's not it didn't look good when he was you know really limping off but maybe it's just a real pain right away and uh it it, it'll get better when the swelling goes down but where are you at with matt latos right now let's assume this isn't a long-term injury i was never on team latos to begin with i think this is an area where you and i differ a little bit i remember you being on him a little bit uh i was not and, and mostly mostly because of the you know the injury issue is to somebody. I was like, okay, I'll let somebody else uh, take a shot at him. And again, you look at you look at the numbers he's putting up, and you know it doesn't give me anything. For, you no know, why should I be back? Why should I be back in this camp? Why should I say? You know, there are guys that I definitely were like, man, I wish I would have uh, not been like Tory Hunter. I mean, I let Tory Hunter go for five dollars in the draft because I hate Tory Hunter. Yeah. I wish I would have Tory Hunter on my roster right now. That's a guy that I regret. Latos, don't regret letting somebody else roster him. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Uh, the Braves, a 16-43 ERA against him in three starts, 14 earned runs, uh, and he's allowed 23 all year. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, well, that's, you know, they're clustering them against him, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not like he's going to stop facing them. Obviously, he will for a period, because uh, I think that uh, the way they kind of set up the schedule here, it's like a lot of divisional at the beginning and end. And so then they're about to go into a, a pretty big lull with the divisional games. So maybe when if he is healthy and looks like Latos will avoid the Braves, I, I'm I'm still I, I'll stick with him in some situations. But uh, I, I understand that it's it's certainly not overwhelming. I just think he's better than other people believe. All right, let's talk about some uh, some performances right now. We're talking mostly uh, upper echelon performances. A couple couple guys uh, on the dud end here, but we're going to start at the high highest peak right now because it's just been ridiculous. Uh, Bryce Harper continues to dominate, and I think you know just kind of keeps moving up and up. And what more can you really say? Okay, we 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 knew you know we thought he was for real, et cetera, whatever. The, the question is now about valuing him going forward. And this is a huge hot streak, so in the throes of it, it it's, it's tough, and it can be prone to uh, overrating things. But is Bryce Harper a top-five player from here on out? Yes, untradeable. He is, a, he is right there. Like he and Mike Trout, they are in the untradeable, the untradeable echelon. I mean, when you look at a guy whose walk rate and who's nearly matching his strikeout rate, that's disgusting, and, so and he's more and he's more than double that walk rate. Last year it was already good at ten. Now it's twenty-one two. It's just it's unbelievable what he's doing right now, and and the 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 youth, everything about it is it's just no. It's the, I, you have to absolutely blow me away for me to make for me to deal uh, Bryce Harper in any league format. I'm not even talking keeper league. I'm just talking league. Exactly. No, I I, I agree. Um, 
I mean, we took him eighth overall last year. We were there. We tried. He, Two he's, years he's, in a row. Yes. I mean, he, is, he is swinging fewer. He's, he, he, you know, 30% swing rate, swing rate last year, 25% this year. Uh, you know, chasing 33 last year, 27 this year. Swinging strike rate, a 15% last year, 11% this year. Jeez. This is a dude who has quickly said, okay, I know where the strike zone is. If you make a mistake within it, I'm taking the four, the free four bases around the base pass. And I am Scary. absolutely looking forward to seeing him play in person next month when I go to D.C. to watch him play the race. I'm hoping they walk him all four times. You know, I, I, I got to see uh, I got to see if he makes it into Texas at all. Because you just got to watch Bryce Harper right now. It's, it's absurd. And like I said, well, you know, we're at the height of it. But I don't think it's crazy because of the skills that are going with it. Uh, the skills were already great, too. But now he's he's matched his homer uh, total and, and surpassed – actually, he surpassed it today. When, when you add in today's numbers, a homer and three ribbies and a triple uh, and a single. He was going for the cycle. Um, his 14 Didn't get home- it, slacker. I, what a loser. His 14 homers and 37 ribbies are, are one homer and four ribbies better than what he did last year in 100 games. And he, so he's, he's done that he's in 39. Two walks, he's two walks shy of his total last year. It's, two. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous right now. And, you know, this is this is where the hype came from. For those of you that didn't believe in him and that really thought he was overrated, this is where the hype came from. I mean, Suck the, it, haters. The, the, really, the only thing that he hasn't done is stayed healthy. Because even last year, you know, I know he wa- it wasn't otherworldly, but it was still great. And then he capped it off with a really impressive playoff, which really had me psyched about him coming into this year. I, I, I usually don't get too hyped about playoffs, uh, playoff performances, because they're, they're, you just got to be careful. You really do. But his, his series against the Giants, I'm like, man, he's going to take – I'm, st- I'm staying exactly where I am. But, of course – a year early. I'm chronically a year early on always. guys. It always. Who are we talking about this year so we know who to draft next year? Oh, yeah, we'll have to do that. I'm we need to, to... Re- honestly need to make that list and say, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, and then just guy. stick with them. Just just double down next Hutchison. year. Hutchison's got to be at the top of that he, list. He, yeah, he'll, he'll be back. Um, I mean, Eovaldi's going to end up being one of those lifers that when he finally does, I'll, uh, you know. Yes, I've been on him for 52 years, so it won't it won't really be the same. At thing. least I got my Luis Valbuena call right, who has more home runs than Miguel or as many home runs as Miguel Cabrera now. Valbuena, man, I got that guy everywhere. Uh, I love the second and third baseman eligibility with the power. I don't care if he's hitting 220 or 210 even. Just keep just keep blasting. <laughs> Let's talk about somebody else who's blasting right now and has just been on fire. And this is why they're, they're, it's still. You know, kind of in that realm of saying, if, if a certain guy is his skills aren't really waning or anything, if there's nothing really wrong, you can still say it. it, it there's nothing wrong. A, a big weekend can can dissuade you of the notion that anything is wrong, and that's what Brandon Belt did. Uh, he had a nine-hit, three-homer weekend. I mean, that's just an obscene weekend, obviously. But his OPS jumped from 7.32 to 9.01, so it goes from what's wrong with Brandon Belt to Brandon Belt's fine, and that happened in three games. And the fact is, there's nothing that changes from Thursday to Friday that, that made him all right. I, I think it was just a situation where, you know, e- even really with anybody right now, it can still kind of change on a dime. But what did you think of, uh, of his big weekend in Cincy? And, and, the, and the offense as a whole, by the way, which we'll get into after that. They're dominating. But Brandon Belt, big, huge weekend. Where are you on him? Another guy we were a year ahead on. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> 
you know, when you look at it, you're like, okay, well, who have they played? Because when you first saw it, you're like, okay, who they played? Miami, the recent games, Padres, Marlins, Astros, and then the Reds uh, in this current series. But I, I'm very surprised by how this Giants team is playing overall. I did not think it was going to be this good. No. Uh, I kind of gave them the, oh, it's an odd year. They must suck. Uh, and But with Bell— I gave them the—I looked at their roster. They must suck. Well, that too. I mean, there was there was really nothing. You look at it, you're like— um, there's nothing. There's nothing here. I don't. I don't there's see some this. There's piece. I mean, the, the, there there are plenty of good pieces, but but top to bottom, I was not that impressed. And the offense has been kind of ridiculous outside of their one addition to it, Casey McGee, which who couldn't see that coming. It, precisely. It, the thing when you look at Belt, you look at the numbers this year, they're in line. You know, obviously, the triple slash line is well above what it was last year. Strikeout rate minimal improvement. He is walking some more. Uh, within that, you look at you know, the rest of the ratios, you don't see anything tremendous like, wow, what is he doing so different from last year that he was able to hit it? So everything else is within that uh, contact rate, exact same. The one thing, the one area he has made improvement, he's not going, he's not expanding his strike zone. That's a big, you know, looking at this now, 30.2% to 23.1. That's a nice. big improvement in chasing pitches. So as long as that can hold up, then okay, cool, and that that's going to help bring the batting average because he's he's making contact with better pitches. He's still pulling just about everything, uh, you know, for his power. Still pull side power, and but that chase rate's a big thing for him. I will say I'm 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 really pretty much out on the on the batting average improvement right now for Brandon Belt because uh, it is pretty much batting uh, BABIP driven right now. He's oh, yeah. he's popping like a 420. Um, and so that's that's going to that's going to come down. Nothing's really changed uh, skills wise, as you mentioned. So, you know, the walk rate improvement, okay, but the strikeout rate very still high and and just not conducive to a 300 average, especially when you're talking his pull happy uh, situation there. So if if he's pulling the ball and still striking out like that, I don't know. I just I I think that that batting average will come down, but still. If he can hit for power the way he has been, and, and this big weekend now brings him up to five. Uh, or no, those were his first three. Excuse me. I saw two there. No, those were his first three of the season. So if, if this is going to kind of set him off and get Belt on that, uh, you know, at least I, I think people were really having him for 25. And, and, the, and the, the aggressive Belt fans were saying 30 this year. I don't know if that's still in play, but, you know, I, I could see him still getting 25, even though he's off to a slow start. The, the three kind of fixes a lot of that. So I don't know if I value him all that much in first base. It's still really good, so there's no need to. But as a corner, I still like Brandon Bell. Yeah. You know, speaking of corner, I, I, I'm so mad at myself for not even predicting this. Do you know who the new Marlins manager is going to be tomorrow? No. Who? Take a wild guess. If Miami you know, fires Mike Redman out of the blue, who's the guy that they're going to pull up to be the manager tomorrow morning when they announce it at 11 o'clock? Oh God! Well, I I don't know. I'm it, better not say Jack McKeon because that's they can't do that again. Is he is he even honestly? Alive? I did check the Jack McKeon. Jack McKeon was still alive and he, he is, is right. Who's okay. Mr. Marlin? Cliff Floyd. Jeff Conine. Jeff Conine. Oh yeah, that that is. You're right. I think that is right. He's like the Dan Marino of the of the Marlins. To and me, all, I was like, oh, it makes so much sense. I'm so mad that I didn't I didn't get I didn't like jokingly tweet that earlier. Jeff Conine's obviously gonna be the manager here because he is. Also funny that um, you mentioned it because I said something about a corner. Yeah, he really was only a corner because he never had enough power, especially in that era, to be a first, a starting first baseman, uh, especially on a mixed league team. Jeff Conine, you're like, ah, you know, it's it's pretty good, 
But uh, my 284 with the 15 homers, I can't put that at first base. So I like that you uh, pointed out that he's a corner only. Anyway, um, we, this the San Francisco offense as a whole, we mentioned it's raking. You could say it's they're beating up on some opponent. I didn't think they really beat up on anybody. McGee is really the only down spot. Um, wh- which of these pieces, wh- which of the pieces in here do you really buy? Uh, lifting Posey and now the returned Pence, who who was on fire right out of the bat, right off the bat. By the way, actually, first question: Does Pence's return spell the end of Justin Maxwell? I think it does. I mean, there's because nothing AOP. Justin Maxwell. There's nothing Maxwell doing that terribly. That's like, yeah, I, I have to keep him in there. Yeah, Aoki's got to stay in there because he sets the table. Three sixty exactly. on base percentage. Has I mean, to stay um, now. Pagan is out with a back or, or has a back flare up himself. I didn't put it in the notes because it didn't. It doesn't seem like a major issue right now. But he can always get hurt. Would Would Aoki go back to would go Would he go to center in that situation? Oh, God, I hope that, not. I think yes, he has to. I, I thought he, he was has to. pretty bad out there. That's why I was asking because uh, I was going to say if Pagan got hurt, which is unfortunately a safe bet, especially uh, at his age, 33. I wonder if that would spare Maxwell, but, but Maxwell himself can't play center, right? He's a big guy who plays corner only, right? Yeah. He's used to be a great athlete, but that guy broke down so many times. So unfortunate. But anyway, I think that kind of spells the end of him. So for those of you in super deep mixers or NL onlys that were getting some decent patchwork out of him, a couple of homers, you know, keeping you afloat with a, what, 750 OPS or some shit, uh, whatever he had. I can't remember. Um, So, but outside of uh, of Pence and Posey, which obviously, you know, they're, they're, they're the studs. Who are you buying in this lineup that's that's off to a great start? You know, Brandon Crawford, Panic, Aoki, Pagan. Um, I guess that's it, really. Which of those guys do you like as believable at a new level or at this level? Brandon Crawford. I didn't think he had. I didn't think he had the stick to pull this off. But you know, he's getting on base at the thirty-seven percent clip right now. My he's dude. already got sick. He's tied for the lead in home runs. I missed the boat here. I mean, I thought I thought this guy was still going to be a glove first guy, but. You look at the numbers he's putting up now, 14 extra base hits, uh, walking a little more strikeouts, and they're always going to be there for him. But I kind of missed the boat on him. Big, big fan. That's my pick, too. He's my, he's my third most uh, rostered shortstop behind Starlin Castro and Brad Miller. Brad Miller's on fire. Um, yeah, big fan of, of Brandon Crawford. That's the one I believe, too. Like, I'm sorry I can't pick a different one, guys, and give two different answers because that's easily the one I believe in. I do believe uh, – in what Aoki's doing, but it's just kind of what he's always done. He was a little bit down last year, um, but I, I think he's speed-wise because he only had 17 to 25 uh, did Aoki. But I think that he can he can be back in the mid 20s, maybe even low 30s if he can stay healthy. But uh, he's also 33, so I, you can't bank on Aoki necessarily staying healthy. So interesting things going on with that San Francisco offense. So I did not see this coming. Nope. Um, Josh Harrison's on a six game hitting streak, you know, n- nothing crazy, but his OPS is up from 491 to 653, uh, obviously kind of slowly working his way from that awful, awful start. Josh Harrison was kind of a divisive guy. There were some folks that bought in others that were very skeptical of what he did last year. I know baseball HQ was really hot on him. I thought he was pretty legit. I'm not going to say that, uh, it's right or wrong yet because it's still only 33 games, but so far it hasn't been good. He's looked more like the Josh Harrison before the contract. Are the pirates going to regret this deal? 
I was this is some this is one of the guys that I was uh, very very cool on to start the year. This I was out here saying no. I you mentioned Baseball HQ was saying yes. I did not like. I, I kind of said he was going to be the Chris Johnson of 2015. Oh yeah, you did say that. I think I said that was way too perfect, and it made me mad because I did I, I liked him a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's such a good call. And you. overall, I mean, overall, the strikeout rate is exactly where it was last year. He is walking even less often from than he never, did last yeah. year. From never to like Haley's Comet appearances of walks <laughs> at this point. Uh, the batting average in balls in play went from 353 to 245. But if you look at his other numbers prior to this, you know, it wasn't like he was a bad bit god before that. It was 27280, and then he went to 353, and then he came back down. Uh, Obviously, it's still too early to, to say to do the I told you uh, the I told you so dance. But I owned zero shares of him because he was going in the top 100 at one point. And I yes. was like, no, 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 no. And, and, well, and this was me who was who was advocating Chris Johnson the season prior, who got burned by advocating Chris Johnson. And I learned from my mistake. You learned your lesson. Here's the thing that and, and like I said, I, I was I was pro him definitely i thought you know like a 110 ops kind of or 110 ops plus situation he was at probably a 110 ops for quite a while um you know just a a guy who's a a little bit above average and then does a little bit of everything the one thing that i think i got suckered on was the positional flexibility because he only came in with third base outfield but i liked that cbs put in the middle uh, he didn't qualify enough for second or short, but middle is both, and he played 25 total games there. I, 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 I thought maybe that there would be, for whatever reason, I thought maybe there'd be a threshold where it had to be 20 at second or short to qualify at middle. So I like that he had that, but the problem was he wasn't going to re-earn second base uh, or shortstop eligibility in season. It was very unlikely for him to. So maybe I got a little bit suckered on that, but I don't have – uh, I, don't, I don't even know if I have any shares, to be honest. So as much as I did like him, it didn't really burn me. But don't freak out just yet because if you cut a guy like this, he can get a hot streak going and, and kind of balance out a little bit, and then you look foolish. So I say stick it out until at least the end of this month with Josh Harrison. You, right. have to, you kind of have to. With what you spent on him, you have to. Bingo. That's the thing, too. Price does come into I, – I know a lot of folks will say, you know, ignore draft day price the second draft day is over. In some instances, I understand that, but I don't think that's a, an, an absolute that I subscribe to. I still think it matters when you invest to, to take some time to uh, try to recoup that or else you're making decisions too quickly. Um, all right, let's talk some pitching now, and, and this is where you get your chance, okay? You, you can try to tell me once again um, how, how good he is and, and tell you know try to get me to fall for the strikeout and walk ratios. Um that that's working out for Clay Buck Colts right now. I'm I remain skeptical, but another huge outing was it today that it, or it was yesterday? Um, it was Friday night. Uh, Friday night, eight innings, three hits, one run, eleven strikeouts, no walks. The one one run was a homer, um, but just a great outing. And that's after a great outing in Toronto or a good outing in Toronto. So you know, three runs, six and six and a third in Toronto. That's tough, but. You know, for me, that just says that the next one is almost sure to be poor because three in a row is just not something that the Clay Buckles can do. But what what are you seeing? Is this something that we really got to buy into now? We got two double digit strikeout games, a couple of sevens, a nine. That kind of dominance definitely catches my my eye for sure. Okay, so if we look if we look at him by strikeout rate, he's 10th in baseball. If we look at him by strikeout minus walk rate, He's 12th 
in baseball. That, and, you know, with those kind of numbers, yet the, the, the ugly part is he has the third highest BABIP of all starting pitchers behind your boy Gio Gonzalez and our boy Carlos Carrasco. And <sighs> then his left on base percentage is one of the worst in the league, too, at 64%, which puts him in the bottom 12 of that. So he's in the he, – he misses bats like one of the elite pitchers. And then yeah. – but these guys score, and that's the head case that is Clay Buckholz. And we talked about this. When guys get on base, that's when he struggles. So when Clay Buckholz is successful, at first when – I, when I hear Buckholz is doing well, the first thing I do is I look at the hits column and the walks column. Yeah. Who was on base? He had four runners on base. As long as that's happening – and he you know, controls the damage, then, he, then he's in good shape. And this is why, I mean, the strikeout rate, it's it's elite when you look at what he's doing right now. If I were to tell you and remove the name, it'd be like, dude, there's a guy on our, there's a guy on our free agent pile. Let's go get him. I told you I traded him straight up for, uh, I traded uh, Nate Carnes and Ronald Mondesi Jr. It is a keeper league, but I, it was, you know, that's a price I'm willing to pay to get him. Absolutely. Uh, and it's worked out. It's worked out so far, but the numbers, you know, health, what you talk about Tillman and the health, when we look at uh, what Buckholz is doing, the strikeout rate is up from 18 to 27%, walk rate's down. So huge. And it, it, just the bad bit and, and, and left on base regression, it, even if he gets back to career average, I'm not even asking for league average. It doesn't take, it doesn't take much to see that better days were ahead from him because his numbers were – the strikeout rates where he was missing too many bats to be this bad forever. That's now uh, he'll he'll he's totally gonna do another bed crap uh, bed crapper since we're a PG thirteen show. <laughs> you know he's you know he's gonna drop a bomb in the bed here sooner or later, uh, because that's what it's what Clay Buckholz does. But yet if you didn't, I, I wrote this last weekend. We talked about this last week. I said go pick him up. Yeah, better days are going to be ahead for this guy. Even just on the strikeouts alone, he's missing bats, and he's done it for. He's done it over eight starts now. Strikeout rate stabilizes early, and he's continued. Yeah, it, there's been no slack in this. So the, the the thing that worries me is kind of the mental aspect a little bit with Buckholz, uh, because like you say, the way he reacts when things start going south, um, it reminds me a little bit of Zach Greinke. Before he really kind of established himself, I guess with with the Dodgers actually, because it was the Milwaukee Anaheim uh, era, him when he he would have like hot mid to high three ERA and then you know sub three. FIP and all that sort of stuff. All the indicators for Zach Greinke said he was a superstar still, but we weren't seeing it. It was because he'd have a couple of, you know, sideways appearances where one thing went wrong against him, an error or something like that, and he'd let it all go to hell. And so that's the thing that worries me about Buckholds. And I'm wondering, is the Babip so high? I know he's a ground ball guy, but is their defense terrible like Cleveland's? Because that's why Carrasco's as high. They were they were been messing Carrasco and Kluber all year. No, it really shouldn't be. I don't really know what their defense is, but it can't it can't be terrible. Not with not with Bogarts and and uh, uh, Pedroia up the middle. It just oh, can't yeah. be. Yeah, no, now yeah. here's the thing. Now when I was, you know, gloating about uh, Buckholz two starts ago, somebody was like, "Yeah, haha, Dave Bush, Ricky Nolasco." And I'm like, "Damn, that's cold." But you oh. know, I mean, how? But Ricky Nolasco and Dave Bush never missed bats like this. They were always the uh, the oh, if their strand rate would only get better, and it never did. But they'd never miss bats like this. You can't lump those two in the same category. There was somebody else. I heard it, I think, on a podcast that did a better one of Dave Bush. It was like it was way too perfect. And it was somebody I liked, so it kind of bothered me. I was like, oh, man, that's so, that's so correct. But, uh, yeah, everyone go back, and if, if, you're, if you're new to the game or just don't remember Dave Bush, go back and look at how, you know, we love strikeout-to-walk ratio stuff, and we're, we're strikeout whores for sure. Uh, but, but uh, you know, 
he would have these excellent strikeout to walk ratios. I think he led the league one year uh, and had like a 450 ERA. And he would just always tease. And it was always because of the homers. You know, he just had control but not command. Uh, Nolasco, you know, similar sort of deal. He's teased before as well. Um, is Anthony Descofani, after after getting smashed by the, the hard-hitting, awesome Giants, apparently, is he droppable now? Uh I guess so. I guess we got to go down that route. I liked what I saw from him early, but it has not been good since. No, it really hasn't. It's, and it's been a situation where he just can't find the comp- find the play with any consistency. Um, yeah, I was starting to get worried, honestly, uh, right around May first with the five with the five walk outing. He followed it up with four, and then three and three. So. You know, even though the ERA kind of has taken a while to catch up, because even throughout the the first three starts of May, it was 203, 250, 279, because he was still kind of skating by. But now it's up to 380, and it, it just doesn't look special right now. I could see him as a guy who gets hot again, and you really want to go back out there and get Descofani. But right now, I think you can cut him without worrying. Um, throw a curveball here because we're not listed on the uh, sheet there. But what about the, his counterpart in that game, Chris Heston, who's either been extremely good or weak ruining awful like that the five earned or no six earned uh in his first bad outing five earned and then five earned in two innings today so it's been either or with him what are you doing with chris heston is he out the door as well no i, I because i believe in the chris heston curveball okay in, in a it's mixed so league, good i don't want him i don't want him in a mixed league but i believe in the Chris Heston curveball. He's just a guy that has the pitch from ahead. In an NL league, I'm not dropping Chris Heston yet because if you watch the start and watch the curveball, you're still going to fall in love like I do. Yeah, I mean, cut up, cut up the Angels, smashed Houston, of course, ten strikeouts. You know, uh, it's it's still, it's still uh, not. You know, it's still noteworthy to smash the Astros because they have a good offense, but to get 10 strikeouts is not quite as. No- but I mean, it was a it was a complete game. It was really nice work there. So uh, I think I can agree that uh, I, I would have Heston a couple ticks above Descofani. So if they're kind of right there on the on that line of cut, Descofani is below it. Heston's just above. Uh, let's talk about the two rookies that everyone's going crazy about. They each had their second starts. Uh, Rodon was rocked, and Syndergaard was great. Basically, they kind of flipped. Uh, flipped roles then because Rodon was excellent in his first start and Syndergaard was good until uh, in, in, in to, in, until that sixth inning. What do you think of these two? Let's start with Rodon. What's the what's a realistic ceiling for him the rest of the way in terms of you know uh, slotting him? A, a three. I mean the stuff. The stuff has uh, high two, low one potential. But he's a rookie, and it's going to be inconsistent. This is kind of the stuff that when you watch him pitch, you see 96, 98 fastball. The slider is ungodly. You're like, how is this guy ever going to lose? He's going to be like Matt Harvey in his rookie year. And then he goes out and does what he does in his last start here. So the inconsistency is still going to be there uh, with him. But honestly, I still think you have to set it and forget it with him and just write it out because he does. he's going to be a special kid. I, th- I definitely think he's going to be special. I'm very excited about him. I'm obviously giving him way more than two starts before I'm really going to freak out. Um, you know, the, the, the walk issues, they, they, they can be scary, and, and, and it's going to create the volatility. But you just, yeah, you got to kind of hang in there and, and, and trust that devastating stuff. Uh, what about Syndergaard, who, I, honestly, I, they're going to get lumped together because, you know, they kind of come up around the same time. They're top prospects. Um, I... I think he's every bit as good, maybe better. Ditto. Uh, Ditto. I mean, this guy, 
I'm just I've been so impressed. I didn't really get a chance to check out uh, today's start, so I'll have to go back and watch. But even just what I saw in one that didn't even end up going that well, I was really impressed. So definitely set it and forget it with him. How high uh, Syndergaard is a top 40 pitcher yet or top 60? Oh, 26th, obviously 26th. Um, but top 60. Top 60. And Rodon, same, uh, just same thing or higher? Because you're saying he is number three. That would be... I yeah, I, I think realistic number three, high uh, upside. I, I put oh, him right near upside, one another. Upside. I put him right near one another. It's just a matter of you know, you know what's more achievable at the moment. Absolutely. Um, you know, and obviously between the two, especially in like a, a one-year situation. But I, I think overall, I would go for Syndergaard. National League is easier, um, and of course has the pitcher. So you just got it. And they, I still, I still don't believe the Braves' offense. Um, and, and so you got the Braves and the Phillies in there. And then last but not least, uh, in terms of these performances here, Michael Pineda, he was blasted by KC, but kind of everyone is. Are, are they a team that when when one of your pitchers that you like uh, gets blasted by and you're just like, well, that sucked. I was hoping for better, but I kind of expected worse. Or, or do you still uh, ding somebody for getting blasted by KC? I don't ding them at all. KC makes more contact than any other team They're in baseball. So good. They have the the league lowest 14.6% strikeout rate. For like I mean, you five look years at, running. You look at this lineup. I mean, these are their regulars right now. Hosmer, 402 OBP. Gordon, 389. Mustakas, 378. Kenny, 371. Morales, 353. I know Rios was out, but you know he's out with 345 where he was. Escobar, 341. That's that's I mean. These guys are on base five of their five to six of their nine regulars are on base at least thirty four percent of the time. That's they dumb. don't strike out. They get on base, and I don't care how well you pick. These guys are going to end up scoring on you. They do not strike out. The worst strikeout rate on the team. When you're looking, you sort by strikeouts. You look for the nobody is striking out. Gordon is. I'm sorry, Gordon's the only guy with a strikeout rate of at least twenty percent. Everyone else is in the teens. So when I when when Pineda was there, we I think we said it in the past, I think we said two weeks ago. I'm starting Danny Salazar every week except for the Kansas City games. I you know it's honestly Kansas City is to the point where if my guy's going against him, I'm I'm really gonna look at sitting if he if he's a one start week against the Royals, he's absolutely sitting. If he's a two start week pitcher and the Royals are one of them, I'm gonna waffle because nobody was pitching better than Pineda and Pineda got owned. Absolutely. Um, I, I think they are a situation now where you have to be afraid of them. You, you should be very afraid of the, uh, of the Royals with your pitchers and make moves accordingly as you would. Uh, basically, just start treating them the way you did Detroit and probably still do Detroit, as you should. And what it really uh, kind of drives home is that the AL Central pitchers as a whole should probably, probably be moved down a level. Um, unless they're on the Royals or the Tigers, obviously. But uh, when you're talking about White Sox, Twins, and uh, Indians pitchers, and of course Indians have so many very uh, appealing pitchers, but getting Detroit and, and KC that often. Now, like I said, they're about to shift out of a divisional play, so you might not have to make that adjustment right now, but maybe down the stretch. It's kind of something on the edges there, but uh, you know, for that August-September run, your AL Central pitchers might be the ones that you want to trade on the July 31st deadline uh, if that's what your league adheres to. What do you think? Is yeah. that crazy? No, it's not crazy. I, mean, it's just, I, I cannot get over the fact how, how – you know, this lineup used to be one that was a slash and dash, and you're worried about them running on you. Yeah. And, and now it's like they're always on base. You and don't then they're get bombing clean innings. You. And then they, it's just like, 
it's crazy how the, well they're put together now if they could only find some pitching. I, I know. Um, and, and they've got, you know, Danny Duffy, ugh. you know, the, the, the bullpen, though. And they find they find somebody like Chris Young who's going to be a perfect fit for them because they can throw him five every time and they never. Ryan Madsen back, uh, Ochevar back. It's that's like, crazy. Yeah. They never have to ask Chris Young to go more. If he can, you know, if he's just running hot that night, great. But even four innings, they could, they're he the could Padres. They're the San Diego Padres of the American League. He, yeah, he could get DAP for a, for a four inning. They'd be like, hey, man, perfect. That's a great start. I know you're not going to get a win, but awesome. Uh, all right. Uh, a couple p- people have been called up of, of some note. I'll actually ask you how much note. That Michael Franco was the first. Cody Ashley got dumped down by the Phillies. Uh, Michael Franco is a legit prospect. There's some, some impressive upside here, but he's pretty young, too. He's only 22 years old. What do you think of Michael Franco? Is there going to be an impact this year? Just don't be Don Brown 2.0. And Just unfortunately, that's all you do. D- D- uh, I think it was Doug Thorburn uh, when I was talking to him was saying there's a lot of Don Brown here, possibly. But we were we were kind of spinning it as po- perhaps a positive because uh, Don Brown for a while was a, a you know the, his prospect. Coming up, it was all good. It just changed in the majors, and part of it was the way they handled him. So Franco, you know, he's at the good end of the Don Brown scale right now. Let's hope he doesn't turn to the to the down end. I guess is what you're saying. Right. Here's the thing: when you look at him last year, you know, sub 300 OBP, but again, 21 years old in AAA. That I don't know if there was a younger player in AAA. I can't imagine there was because I, I would that's be insane. That, that's that's high A ball age, if not low A. And that's where he was. And this year at 22, he was still down there. And triple A, he's been able to hit 270, uh, 278 with a 768 OBP in triple A. That, that, you know, there's a lot more strikeouts than there are walks. That's always a red flag. I don't like that. I mean, we've seen enough of Franco to know that he should be in a major league uh, regular at the peak of his career. So I'm not trying to statistical scout here. But I am looking at a guy who's been much lo- younger than the league average and has held his own. Uh, and with Philadelphia, they should. I know they're on a five-game winning streak, print the World Series tickets, but they should let him play and ride him out. I don't want him in a mixed league, but I'll take a shot on him in a, 12, a 10, 10 or 12-team NL. Well said. Francisco Lindor was uh, age 20 in AAA last year. Mookie Betts, Daniel Norris, Don Pompey, Carlos Rodon, Jose Ramirez, and Aaron Sanchez, among others uh, less notable, uh, were 21-year-olds as well. So they could have been older uh, or a little bit younger than Franco. I'm not going to look up all the birthdays there. but So younger guys are getting up to AAA there, and you really have to take that into consideration when you're judging their performance. Especially if they're excelling. I mean, it, it's such a coup if they can go up there at that age and excel in Triple A. Um, Mike Wright is the other call up, and I know you know it, it doesn't get much more generic in terms of the name. Why don't you just be Mike Smith? But um, that doesn't mean that he's going to be a generic kind of worthless player. He, he's got kind of the workhorse profile, six six two fifteen. I think I believe he's he's a big uh, sinker ball kind of type, but. Um, you know, never been a huge prospect, always kind of looked like that innings eater, fourth, fifth end, uh, fourth, fifth starter type. But I think that could have some, some AL only value. I think it could maybe fulfill, um, uh, most of what Chris Tillman was supposed to do. Um, thinking on the higher end, uh, like a three, seven, three, or I, I think that's what Tillman's ERA was two years ago. So I'm thinking yes. that kind of, that kind of realm, uh, for Mike Wright at best. He had a great debut. Not going to be special. Probably get his clock cleaned every every once in a while to keep that ERA at a certain level. But uh, you, ever, you ever see anything from this guy? You know anything about him, or are you, you coming in fresh? 
mostly coming in fresh. I'm taking a look at his, his numbers at minorleaguecentral.com. Um, as a minor leaguer, he's been mostly splits neutral, and, and that's a good thing. If we were to compare him to, uh, like, Eric Johnson, who was called up by the White Sox last year, who was not split neutral. No. And, and that's where, so at least he's got the splits neutral so they can't just stack lefties against him uh, and, and then go to, go to town against him. But he's not going to miss a lot of bats. I mean, he had a 10-strikeout game against Charlotte back in the end of April, but all of his other outings have been five to six innings with four to five strikeouts, uh, and that's in AAA. I would expect more of the same. All, all the Orioles, I mean, that is the second-worst pitching staff in the American League, and uh, only Boston has been worse, and, and that's with Tillman and Norris both getting pounded on a regular basis. So with all they need, all they need for him is five innings. Just give him five five and fly out, out of it. I'm not looking for any 12 team. I do have a bid on him in AL Towers tonight, but that's the only kind of league format I would touch him at. Makes sense. Um, and then we'll finish up talking a little bit about some bullpens here. I, th- I think the, the only one uh, with real movement that, that uh, hasn't been talked about on the show, not necessarily by us, obviously Steve Sushek, that happened, but uh, Addison reads out finally, and he's just been brutal. This was a guy, I, I, I still feel like he's better than this, but uh, pitching horribly, and maybe he just isn't. Uh, I understand a lot of folks never not, never really all that interested, but I thought that there was more there. There hasn't been. He's been awful. So they're going to go with the matchups, which is, of course, what most guys, well, what most teams say, um, unless they have kind of that obvious guy. Brad Ziegler is probably going to be the top pickup. I don't know, man. It's one thing to not be much of a strikeout guy and kind of be at 6'8 or whatever, 6.8 strikeouts per nine, which I feel like is somewhere where he kind of used to live. But he's at 3'9 this year. Like, that's that's a lot of contact, especially for a, a reliever. I mean, for anybody. It's just horrible. Oh, he's up yes. to 4.7. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, he's got a career before that of 6. So not at 6'8. I was selling him high. 6, okay, I can kind of live with that, especially the way he gets it done. He's been successful. I don't know if you're going to be able to succeed at 4-7, uh, you know, too long, allowing that much contact. Yeah, people will tell you saves or saves or saves, but this is kind of the exception to the rule. I, I, I want no part of a closer that's in there with a sub-five strikeout rate. I, no. I, I can't do it. Especially if there's like an innings cap, because even though he's not going to use a lot of the innings, that's just ugly. Because obviously an innings cap league becomes a K-9 league. So you, you don't want that. I, I'm not I'm not too keen on that uh, situation as a whole. I know Evan Marshall had some some chic sleeper value uh, in some spots coming into the season. Obviously that fizzled out completely. I would love to see Randall Delgado get it. At that point, I, yeah. would, I would be very keen on that. Um, he's, he's been solid from the bullpen. I think he can really excel. I would be interested in that. Uh, that's about the only news that would really make me jump. Maybe if you've got a spot for a reliever uh, or, or a reserve, maybe do maybe do the bid now because he'll be cheapest as opposed to like waiting for Ziegler to bust. Uh, but that that's about it in terms of this Arizona bullpen for me. Delgado, that's that's a, you know a good name to to pull out there because you know he he's got the number. We saw him last year when he added the you know, added the slider to his his bag of tricks and that really helped to miss some bats and, and he's worked out well in the bullpen for them. And you look at how his numbers have played out this year uh, for him. Strikeout rate is, is about where it was last year. He's cut down on his walks. The, the long ball has gotten to him early and that's why his numbers are a little high. The uh, ERA is high because he's given up uh, a few home runs early on, but I, I would take the chance for him and looking at what they have and looking at some of the other guys, I'm like, yeah, you know, Delgado would be the guy I would go after. Absolutely. Uh, all right, that's uh, – oh, no, sorry. I got to finish up asking you 
to try to handicap this uh, bullpen situation for us in Tampa Bay because we got Boxberger who's dominating, and I, I, I firmly believe that he, he could take it away just by being great, uh, that they weren't necessarily going to be married to McGee. But there's been some, uh, you know, um, there hasn't been much clarity around it uh, with the between Jake McGee and Brad Boxberger. How do you see this situation playing out once McGee looks like he's kind of at his peak again? Taking his time. Uh, I mean, they've talked about McGee's only uh, he, he will not pitch in back to back days early on. So they're, they're going to ease him back into things. So I would say I would say Boxberger has got this job for at least the next few weeks. Okay. I, you know, so we're, we're, today's the 17th. I would say he has it at least until June 1st, and then by then maybe we, uh, you know, by then maybe we have to revisit and say, and say, okay, where is it at? Where's McGee's velocity at? Has he pitched in back-to-back games? That's really going to be your first tell. If McGee's coming in in back-to-back games in high-leverage situations, then you know that they're okay. Maybe you know, maybe we're going to be uh, be there, and maybe he's going to be a little close, uh, get closer to that. But if he's still pitching every other game. He gets in in the sixth or seventh inning, that kind of thing. Then you know that's going to keep him off for a little bit. Okay, well, uh, man, I, I just I really think think it should be Boxberger no matter what. But we'll see. I mean, they're both great. It should be. You know, we've we've talked about in the past where you know uh, saves get costly in arbitration. You know, I, in a perfect world, they wouldn't like Boxberger there. Boxberger's a Scott Boris guy, so the burn rate for him in Tampa Bay is not long. Uh, you know, the, he's never going to get an extension uh, from them. And and if he if he has a, the numbers he puts up along with the saves, he's going to get rather expensive. You know, the team is in a stretch here of, of a schedule where they could you know they could catch fire. I mean, they're already they're already doing well. But their next run of games is Atlanta, Oakland, Seattle, Baltimore, the Angels, the Mariners, the Angels, the White Sox. And honestly, the, then you get the Nationals. That, that game, they're, they're playing four against the Nationals the week of Father's Day. Two at Tampa Bay and two at Washington, the one I'll be at the, the last game of that four-game set. So that's the kind of run they're looking at right now. They could catch fire. There could, there's, there could be a lot of save opportunities for someone if the team, if, if Kevin Cash doesn't give away games <laughs> along those lines. But th- there's a chance here where s- there should be, you know, in that kind of stretch, you figure there's about 10 saves to go somewhere. Uh, Boxberger's probably going to get eight of them. But uh, there's there should be some run of success here if they play to their potential. All right. Well, that will wrap us up. Uh, we will be back in a week to talk more baseball. Until then, Jason, keep making sure that knee uh, gets even better. And, uh, you know, we'll see how your boy does, man. Clay Buckholz, I, I don't know. I, I I love strikeouts. I really do. But they just uh, – I'm, I'm torn. So we'll, we'll probably talk about him next week. Just prepare for that, folks. It will probably the happen. Next, who are they playing this week? Um, that I don't know. I don't remember who he's up against. I can look at it quickly. Let's see. Team Cletus is going to pitch against – Against. See, so he went Friday Texas. against – Oh, hell is Yes. Here's what I said in my uh, pitching value meter uh, for, for, for another location. I remain ever terrified of that nine ERA wrecking ball hanging overhead, but he's shown real upside plus AL pitching is kind of lame. I think that sums it up perfectly. Oh, by the way, speaking of, you know, since we at Texas, just to round it off, I think it's worth mentioning for, for folks that get uh, all tied into numbers uh, and if you've missed what Shinshu Chu has done this month after and people were asking us, I remember getting tweets. Should I dump Chu? Should I do this? Should I do this? Chu has been 
unbelievable this month. You look at, I mean, he had like a 096 and a 310 OPS in, in the month of a uh, month of April, May. 347, 392, 694 line. Dude is killing it. Yes, he's still striking out a ton. 30.4%. That's going to happen. But he was pretty much available for the taking because he looked so freaking awful in April. Uh, oh, yeah. And I had him for 21 bucks. I had him for 21 bucks in my home league. And I had two offers for him. And as tempting as it was to click yes, because I was so tired of his crap, I'm like, no, I, I got to ride it out. At 21 bucks, I've got to see what happens. And the dude has been killing it. He took an offer on Saturday. I think it ended as he was, he had hit, hit in every game single game strength. in a month. Yeah, he was just raking. And, uh, you know, that's why that's why April numbers don't mean everything. Exactly. You, got, you just got to be careful with them. You really got to look at the player. So, all right, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. We'll be back in a week. Take care, Jason. See you, bud.